Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the first for 2014. We've been here with you since 2011, so we're still going strong. I'm broadcasting from my hometown of Los Angeles, where it's still up around 75 degrees, while the rest of the country is buried under snow and ice, with some temperatures today in North Dakota as low as 65 degrees below freezing. (laughs) That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? 65 degrees below freezing. So if you're listening in the US, the kids are back at school. Most people are back at work, although on the East Coast, a lot of businesses are closed because of the cold. The freeways are backed up to their normal congested state. I hope you had as good a Christmas as I did and as good a New Year as I did. It was really terrific and I'm looking forward to a Fantastic year of business this year. All the signs are really good. Of course, this is the week that the techies look forward to every year, the International CES show in Vegas. It's the biggest show of new technology on the planet. I mean, it's a fantastic show. I don't know whether you've been, but it's massive. And every year it gets a capacity attendance, 150,000 people, there's 3,000 exhibitors, and uh, I mean, if you haven't been, you really should go, because it's, it's really tremendous. It kicked off last night with a number of keynote speeches, started today, and it's on through Friday. It's been running since 1967, it grew up with um, talking about television sets and stereos, sold by distributors and retailers, but it's grown up enormously since then. And uh, they keep adding new classes of products and companies that don't fit the classic consumer electronics description. And it's used by all of the big guys to launch new products. This year is expected that wearables and internet-connected cars are going to be big, take a lot of the spotlight, but um, I can't tell you very much about what's happened because not much has happened yet, we're only in our first day, but um, just the fact that it's wearables and and cars is a big shift from last year, which was all about tablets and smartphones, mainly about tablets and smartphones, and two years ago, it was a They were fixated on um, lightweight notebooks, so things have certainly come a long way. This year, the industry is trying to move on to the next new thing now that the smartphone market's become pretty saturated. Google Glass, you know, the eyeglasses, that they're pretty cool, but, um, you know, I've said on this program before, I'm not so sure how successful they're going to be because I'm not sure that we need them and the fact you can't drive with them and... It's really a number of reasons why 
Um, they may not take off. There's a lot of new smartwatches this year, um, and a couple of them look really good. A lot less like the big clunky computer worn on the wrist. Um, there's a couple of quite nice designs this year. And there's um, rumours of a new smartwatch coming from Apple. So people are on the lookout there for, for wearable computers. But there's plenty of reason to be sceptical about wearables. Um, smartphones are so versatile and portable. And, uh, you know, you can use them in your car for as... Um, as a GPS, you can use them for all sorts of things, but it's pretty hard to. The watches are so small a face, and it's 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 difficult. So I don't know that people need another distracting s- screen. Much of 2014 will probably be spent determining whether wearables take off or whether they just fall by the wayside. This year, a record number of automobiles are appearing. The automakers like BMW, Audi, Ford, Chrysler, Mercedes um, are all in the show. And what they're doing is they're showing that their cars will interact with smartwatches and all sorts of things. There's also self-driving cars, of course. So, I mean, why why do you need to give your car directions through your watch if it's going to be self-driving? Anyway, um, automakers have got a growing interest in the tech industry because consumers want a stronger interaction between their mobile devices and their cars. And finally, after years of trial and error by TV makers, smart TV is finally starting to catch on. So many of the televisions that we expect to see through the show will include more sophisticated software and, of course, Internet connections. So far, there's been many wearable tech products unveiled. One of them is named June. It's made by a company called Natatmo. And this product gives the user information about sun exposure. So when you go out in the sun with your smartphone app, you just wear this thing as a brooch or a bracelet, and it will um, tell you whether or not you're spending too much time in the sun, which is... which is a good thing to tell you whether you've spent too much time in the sun because not only um, causes premature ageing and you look like a wrinkled prune, but uh, the incidence of skin cancers growing dramatically and that is deadly. Um, June's going to come in three colours and will go on the market for about 100 bucks. which, um, I mean, anybody really smart knows that you go out in the sun for 20 minutes if it's a hot day, is about the maximum. So why you need a uh, a piece of jewellery to tell you that, I don't know. The Wellograph, sta- sta- the Wellograph smartwatch, that's yet another health and fitness device that measures your heart rate using a sensor. It's also got a pedometer to tell you how many steps you take in a day. This is a Thai company, and it's focused on the use of premium materials. So it's got a sapphire crystal face that's less scratch-resistant and a stainless steel and aluminium chassis and leather strap. That'll be available this year as well. 
with a price yet to be announced. I'm not sure that just um, how many paces you take a day and your heart rate is really enough to propel sales of something like this, but we'll see. Another wellness product on display at CES is um, Sensorium Tinky. So it's, again, a fitness sensor, this time to be used with Android devices along with an app, of course. And after pairing it with your smartphone, via Bluetooth, of course, you can use the Tinky to measure your respiratory rate, blood oxygen levels, heart rate, heart rate variability, a whole wide range of things, which seems to me to be a lot more valuable than how many paces you take a day. But So if you want to take, you know, Take, keep track of your fitness program. These gadgets are all great, I guess. You can find out how fit you are, which if you're one of those people who likes to keep score, it's probably good. I'm not one of them. It's now available for $129, but the earlier versions that worked with iOS go for their $119 and connect directly into your iPhone. There's a new speaker, the Dream One Wireless Speaker which is an omnidirectional speaker that's supposed to sound exactly the same no matter where you place it in a room. So um, there are other speakers, as you probably know, on the market that are similar, but they're all thousands of dollars, and this is going to retail for five ninety nine. So if it does what it says it does, i.e. place it anywhere in the room and you, um, you get the sound, same sound, probably a good good investment I reckon and uh, supports a number of wireless input options including Bluetooth and AirPlay you can plug it in a 3.5mm audio jack just direct into that the design's quite unique and the unit comes in black white or a special limited edition aluminum finish another item at CES this year is the True Grip which is a handheld keyboard that's designed to be used with mobile devices. You, you know, you hold it like a large game controller and you put your mobile device in the centre with a suction mount and uh, what you see on the front are the letters that correspond to the buttons that are on the back. So you know what you're typing and they reckon that you can get... Um, a speed of over 30 words per minute after a few hours of practice and then get much faster after you use it for a while. So for anybody who suffers pain in their wrists or um, and can't use a normal keypad or anybody that's, that's got to stand up and type or on the move, um, True Grip sounds like a good idea and it'll be, it'll be available for you later on in the year. We've talked a lot in this program about drones and how important they're going to become in the very near future. Well, now there's a mini drone. It's a new remote-controlled quadcopter from the French company Parrot. They've already got um, the AR drone on the market, which is probably the best-known one. But this one's meant for more casual uses. It's got big wheels. It's like looks a bit like this little body in the middle with these two huge wheels and the removable 
these removable wheels um, allow it to roll along the ground or along the ceiling, and it, it prevents the rotors, which are in the in the centre, from hitting anything when you're flying indoors. It's extremely agile because of the built-in sensors, and it's got an autopilot, and it's very, very light. And that'll also be available this, later on this year. Drones are fascinating because they're going to be, I mean, we're going to be able to, within almost no time, buy pizzas or buy stationery from the local stationery store or groceries from the groceries from the supermarket and have them delivered by drone and that's not that far away. So they're just a few of the products that have been announced so far. But by Friday night, when the show concludes, there will be heaps more and I'll bet, like every year, there are some really big surprises. Now, one of the initiatives at Facebook and Google at the moment is to be able to track users more accurately by figuring out which smartphone or tablet or desktop belongs to a particular customer. Like me, for example, I have a PC, I have a big Apple computer, I have a smartphone, two smartphones, and I have a, um, a tablet, and I skip between one and the other. So they want to know which devices each person owns and that'll, add, that'll enable them to advise advertisers when a person, say, if I make an inquiry on my PC and then a bit later on I order it on my tablet or on my phone, they'll know that that message led to that purchase with that customer. And that'll help them a lot with advertisers. Interestingly, um, a study by British Advertising by OMD, which is a subsidiary of the American company, shows, shows just how important this cross-device information is. This study by OMD showed that the average person shifted between their smartphone their tablet, and their laptop 21 times an hour. Let me just say that again. The average person shifts between their smartphone, their tablet, and their laptop 21 times an hour. That's 160 times a day. And uh, OMD Insight Director Chris Worrell told Brand Republic that the research showed that people are always just one click away from distraction. And how true is that? Worrell said that brands need to experiment with new formats to fit in with these consumption patterns because if people are jumping from one to the other, then you want the message that they're getting to be compatible on all screens. So things like, what I like about YouTube is after you watch the first five seconds of an ad, you can decide to either stay on or get off the ad. And I use that all the time. Sometimes I watch, sometimes I skip. And um, I think skippable ads on, uh, you know, they're priming people to, to expect that in the future you'll be, either, you'll be able to just flick 
from the ad if you want to. So you get the first part, you make a decision in the first five seconds whether or not you want to continue with it, and if you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. I think it's a great idea. The number of people who now switch effortlessly between devices to complete a task, it's increased 500% in less than three years. That's a fantastic growth. Some other figures that came out during the week that I thought were interesting. It was a list of billionaires without a college degree. Well, that's always interesting. And how much they gave to charity. Now, Ted Turner, who established Turner Broadcasting, which is HLN and CNN, it's worth $2 billion, and he's given $1 billion to charity. Ralph Lauren, Polo, also didn't go to college. He's worth $7 billion but apparently gives very modestly to charity. One of the heroes, of course, is Mark Zuckerberg. No matter what you think of Zuckerberg, he seems like a good guy. He's worth $13 billion and he's pledged multi-billions to charity. Michael Dell, another college dropout. He's got $15.3 billion and has apparently given $1 billion to charity. So... Still generous, I guess, but um, not in relation to, um, you know, he's the world's biggest PC maker. One would think that he could do more. Sheldon Elderson has made $26.5 billion from his Las Vegas empire, given very little to people in need, but probably reflecting that. He's given hundreds of millions to Republicans and hundreds of millions more to right-wing causes in Israel. Now, you're much better off giving it to Republicans and people that have got it than give it to those peasants who don't have enough to eat. Ha. Uh, Larry Allison of Oracle is worth $43 billion. He's pledged $22 billion to, cha- $22 billion to charity. Oof. And, of course, the granddaddy of them all is Bill Gates, who's worth $67 billion, and he's given $28 billion to charity. So I hope that with the growing disparity between rich and poor and, you know, 1.3 million people having their um, um, unemployment taken off them this last week and with 50 million people below the poverty line, one would hope that more billionaires would give more money to charity and less money to organisations that do nothing but contribute to their wealth. This is the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, where entrepreneurs get their information and keep up to date. So no matter where you are on the planet, we thank you for listening. You know, we're all about helping entrepreneurs, and uh, if we can help you in any way, please drop me an email at bob at bobpritchard.com. We'll do whatever we can to assist you, or we will put you in touch with somebody who can help you. After the break, I'll be back with Dan Scheide, who's a leadership advisor and trainer, and he's also the president of 4Power Leadership. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. We're the world's number one radio show for entrepreneurs. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and the segment of the show where we talk to people who are taking initiatives that can help entrepreneurs all over the world to be more successful. Now, this segment's not just about helping our guests promote their business or their books or whatever. We really try to ask questions that will provide answers that are of benefit to all of us. We try to find out what it is that makes them tick, what's made them successful, and what we can take away from their experience that will make our journey in business a little bit less challenging. Now, this program's all about saluting entrepreneurs, no matter what their endeavor, so that we can emulate the successes of our guests and we can encourage others to get out there, get off their ass, and have a go. The future is in being an entrepreneur. If you're in middle management over the next 15 years or so, your future is going to be very limited. My guest today is Dan Scheiding, who is a leadership advisor and trainer, an author, a speaker, and a mentor. Now, we often talk about mentors in this program and how critical they are to all business. He's the founder and president of Four Power Leadership, which is a company dedicated to leadership training for corporate and government clients. Dan provides seminars, keynote presentations, executive coaching, and public speaking training. That's another thing everybody should get if they're in business, public speaking training, because you should use every opportunity you can to get out there and talk about your business. Now, I think most of us who have been in business for a long time We often lament about the lack of leadership skills in corporate America, particularly in that middle management level. Now, in the past 20 years or so, Dan's held many senior management positions in corporations. He was actually a uh, vice president at L3, which I am familiar with. Um, They're a major technology and defense company. And Dan's seen too many entry-level supervisors being thrust into their first position, first leadership position that is, without any leadership training. 
and it happened to me actually a fair while ago but um and when you get into that position you don't quite know how to handle it or what is expected of you so Dan developed his training program and then followed that up with his best-selling book, Four Power Leadership, Your Pathway to Leadership Success. Now, like anything, leadership is learned. You know, obviously people have natural leadership abilities, but you learn the skills involved in being a leader. And um, Dan's book, Four Power Leadership, Your Pathway to Leadership Success, does exactly that. What I like about the book is that it contains practical knowledge that you can put to use immediately because it's not some airy-fairy theoretical. It's drawn from experience and practical um, issues and years of research in isolating, you know, just the things that make great leaders. Dan, how are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I am doing great and I am very happy to be on with you, Bob. Thank you. Now, why don't corporations provide middle and lower management with more leadership training? I, I guess I can, I can sort of preface that by saying, why don't companies spend more money in training in general? But one would have thought that management, particularly those early um, level management, was far more important for those people to get training. So why don't they train them? No, I just think it's something that's uh, taken for granted, you know, and uh, one of the things I do when I, I do a seminar is I always ask the question, you know, who in the audience uh, landed in their first supervisory position without any leadership training, and automatically at least 50%, if not more, of the hands go up. I believe And it. I think that, yeah, and I think that um, at the upper echelons, uh, I just don't think that they see the importance of, of doing that, and they think some obscure little department somewhere can just have the, let's say, the top performer appointed as the supervisor because they've been doing a good job. You want to reward them, so they put them in the leadership position, and they say, "Have a nice day, give it a go, and make it work." Yeah, and it's just it's just overlooked, and it's where it's in those all those little departments, all across major corporations, where the rubber meets the road. In, in delivering services and executing important internal processes. So it's just an overlooked area that I think uh, corporations ought to be paying specific attention to, and I think it would be transformative if they did. Yeah. Well, you know, we all know that um, uh, the guy who sells the most product is usually a lousy sales manager. <laughs> you know, yeah. But, but, different skill set all yeah, terrific. Exactly. And uh, what happened, and, and you know well, you've been in sales so long, you know, uh, in your background, you've seen that top producer, right, suddenly become the sales manager. Yeah. And they've got to completely shift gears because coaching and leading a team is dramatically different than you know, just leading yourself and managing your own time. Yeah, that's so, true. Uh, yeah. so, so what was the big idea behind Four power leadership. You just you, you'd been doing this, um, been working for corporations so long that one morning at three o'clock in the morning you had a brainwave and thought, "Aha! How did that come about?" Yeah, that, yeah, that, that, that's the way big things uh, happen. Actually, you know, <laughs> in my True. career, uh, yeah, and uh, I was just so tired of seeing peers and and other folks being such, to put it bluntly, such lousy leaders, yeah. not doing the right things and not engaging properly with the people around them. So I said there had to be a better way. 
And what I really wanted to do is have a simple framework where people can every day gauge their own leadership performance. And that's the, the crux of the book. And the four powers, are, if the, as the title suggests, there's four basic powers of a leader that I've identified. It's the power of poise, the power of presence, the power of performance, and the power of persistence. Right. They're very easy to remember. They all start with P. And if you learn what those are and how to develop them, it's very easy to every day ask yourself, how am I doing in these four powers? Yeah, that, that's interesting. I, I think the other thing to lesson to take out of this is, you know, I never go to bed anywhere without a pen and a pad next to the bed because it's really amazing what you can think of during the night. I mean, it's amazing how much time you wake up, how many times you wake up in the morning and read them and think they're absolute crap too. But quite often you do get really good ideas during the night. And now what, what were those four? There were persuasion, poise. Uh, actually, po- poise. Poise. Yeah. Poise, presence, performance, and persistence. Poise. What do you mean exactly by poise? Well, poise, there's a very interesting definition. Normally, poise is mostly uh, associated with calm under pressure. Yes. It's the most common use of the word. But there's a a secondary definition that really struck a chord with me, uh, and that is self-possession. Self-possession, when we think about that definition, we talk about personal ownership. And then you say, well, ownership of what? And it's ownership of my um, emotions and my value system. It's what we carry within us. And that is that is the core engine of a leader. What they have inside, Bob, is what's going to come out to the outside. So, number one, I encourage people to develop the inner you the, and to, to take a journey within, understand who you are, what makes you tick, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? So then you know exactly what to shore up, how to complement yourself, but most importantly, to carry the right values and to uh, have a strong uh, belief in virtues, which is actually uh, an old word that I'm on a crusade to make new again, the right. virtues of leadership. Now, I'm, I'm one of those people who believes, rightly or wrongly, um, that um, greatness is from within and and no matter what that greatness is, whether it's leadership or what it is, um, you're born with it. And that you can't teach a Steve Jobs to be Steve Jobs. He's just Steve Jobs. Um, do you agree with that? Or how far can you teach people to be great? And where does that sort of drop off and their natural um, abilities determine what the end result is? Well, I'm not... Naive enough to say that anyone can be the next uh, Michael Jordan or something like that, because clearly, you know, there's a genetic component I sure. believe, to just about everything. Yeah. But, you know, even uh, let's use a, a simple example of, of a star athlete. If a star athlete is never exposed and trained, he can never achieve his true level of greatness. So even though we may have, you know, some predispositions genetically that give us certain strengths, whether mental capacity, whether it's a, a natural charisma or an extroversion that allows us to be very easy around people, we still have to develop those things. And at the same time, folks that may um, be somewhat lacking in certain uh, strengths can, can improve yeah. uh, by a concerted effort and, and a dedication. 
So regardless, I'd like to, to say that everybody can, can make certain changes in their lives and improvements if they really put their minds to it. So why is corporate culture in a corporation so important to company performance? Well, this uh, area of leadership is ties directly to that because that's how culture great cultures are built in corporations. They're not built by the by-the-book manager who can quote you policy and who faithfully enforces all corporate um, uh, processes. Right. They're built by that leader that gets out front and inspires people to take performance to a higher level. And the culture is really defined by a, a visible leader who's out front beating the drum every day uh, about the company's uh, values and the corporate virtues, as I like to talk about. And that culture takes you to the next highest level of performance in the corporation. And it transforms, I want to throw this in too, it transforms an employee, uh, what I call the renter mentality versus an owner's mentality. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's really critically important for uh, lower management because they're the ones that are more in touch with um, the worker bees that make the company happen, and they and it's critical that they share the corporate um, the corporate culture, so that it permeates the the whole business. But is one of the issues the fact that the younger generation are likely to be assuming these middle management roles, and they're likely to much be much more community conscious, for example, than their peers, and therefore the younger generation who I have enormous respect for don't necessarily accept the old school corporate culture? Is that a, an issue? The new versus young corporate culture? To some degree, there have been many studies done on how, for example, Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, how they all communicate and what their everyday expectations are. Yeah. But I always like to approach particularly leadership uh, issues and dealing with people. The leadership, make no mistake, is a people business. Yep. And a, a really good leader can transcend all of those little divisions by looking at the basic human needs of what people want. And you know, they, they want to be inspired. They want to know that they're making a difference and what they're doing actually matters in society. I think all people regardless of their generation, have that expectation. Then they, they want dignity, and they want fulfillment. And that's what leaders are, are really good at providing. They, yeah. they fill those emotional voids in people they lead. Do you think it's fair to say, though, that corporations that have grown up over the sort of not this last decade, but 20 years before that, um, were much more selfish and much less community-minded than people are today? Uh, absolutely, and I think we see that. Um, we see movements for corporate responsibility more and more absolutely. amongst the uh, larger companies. And so I think that that message and that perspective is, is seeping in uh, to corporate cultures. So let's accept for a minute that corporate mission and value statements serve to build a strong corporate culture, which obviously they do. Um, how do you, when you go into a corporation, get everybody on the same page? I mean, it, that's got to be enormously difficult, not so much in a small company where everybody's got their you know, blood, sweat and to toil on the line for the success, but where it's a middle-sized company where there's quite a number of divisions. And how do you get all of them 
on the same page, singing out of the same hymn book. How do you do that? Well, mission and value statements are an attempt to do that. But uh, you can try this too next time you're uh, meeting with a corporate client. It's to selectively ask people if they can quote their mission statement. Yeah. And I guarantee you that they, they, they don't even know. They can't. No, yeah. because most of the time, if you notice, they're, they're extraordinarily wordy and very difficult to remember. Yeah. And those types of things, when you have a mission statement, it has to be like a rallying cry. It has to be something that uh, people can uh, say to each other as they pass one another in a hallway off the top of their head. And it defines who they are just by having those few words yeah. create a connection between uh, all of the employees that work there. So in that sense, you know, they're not very effective in, in their approach. And plus, the next thing, I did a quick survey of the top 20 companies in the S&P uh, 500, mm-hmm. or Fortune 500, I should say. And when you look at their mission and value statements, no, none of the virtues of leadership are really mentioned. Things right. like uh, dignity, temperance, you know, humility, industriousness, you know, justice. You know, there's some smatterings of that, but those uh, types of uh, words are not uh, really brought out. And so that, I think, creates real weakness in corporate culture. Yeah. Well, I guess for most of those statements are written by um, somebody more for effect than for actual application, right? That, that's probably true. And uh, they try to be you know, um, an all-things-to-all-people type of uh, statement, and they ignore the fundamentals of what really uh, strengthens what? a good corporate culture. Yeah. And a good example of that is the, is the BP, you know, disaster. You know yeah. that after the BP disaster in the Gulf, they added courage as a corporate value? <laughs> and think about that. If someone had had the courage, right, to really declare what was going on, you know, on that oil rig, things yeah. would have been a lot different. Yeah, true. So, if, although that person probably would have been fired. Um, so how should an emerging leader invest their time um, to develop their leadership skills? Well, number one is is the soft skills of interpersonal relationships and being comfortable uh, around their subordinates and developing that strong sense of personal identity and who they are. And then investing their time in learning what makes human beings tick and knowing that every word that a leader says is scrutinized and their behavior is reflected back to them. So that importance of the journey within, knowing who you are, and then uh, making sure that you're projecting the right value system uh, from a human perspective uh, is the number one investment that a leader can make. Isn't that the hardest part? Because... Um, few people have true empathy. You know, to, being empathetic to others, I think, is a real is a real challenge, and it's um, and it's something that very few people have, I believe. So, you can't empathy is not something you can create, is it? You either have it or you don't. True or false? It is true, but just like many things in our lives, um, you know, going. You know, values and developing sound values is really no different than going to the gym, but you have to be willing to do it. Right? Yeah. Uh, you, can, you can go to 
uh, a good solid, you know, mental values gym if there is one, and 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 basically exercise those values. And most of the time, when people are not empathetic or they're envious or they're carrying negative emotions inside them, it's something in the root of their childhood sure. that caused them to be that way. And there are ways to free yourselves of these types of problems, and people have to be willing to do it, frankly. And without that will, you're right, it, it won't change. They either have it or they don't. So a corporation who's looking at a group of people in a particular division and looking for the next leader should look for somebody who is empathetic to the others around them but is strong enough to not be that empathetic. Is that, is that sort of, you know, you've got... Oh, yeah, that's, that's absolutely true, you know, because any, any virtue... And, and it's what I cover in my book, taken to extremes, either the lack or the excess of it, turns into a bad thing. Like, yeah. for example, what you're getting into is a, um, extreme empathy can uh, ties to, like, a loyalty situation, right? Right. And if you're too loyal to your people, right, come hell or high water, sometimes you've got to tell them, no, you're, you're, you're wrong, or no, what you did was wrong. Or no, even you no longer have the right skill sets to work here. You've got to change, right? So right. Uh, excessive loyalty is bad. Excessive empathy is bad because then you can't deliver that tough love sometimes you have to deliver as a leader. Right. Now, the listeners to this program know that I am a huge advocate of mentors. I've had a number of mentors that I've had for years and years and years and years. And in recent times, I've added. This sounds funny. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Um, in recent times, I've added a couple of mentors that are actually in their 20s. So I'm three times older than they are. And to help me understand the new attitudes, new philosophies, new technologies, um, and it seems funny to have, you know, we always seem to think of mentors as somebody, our peers or maybe older. So what role does mentorship play in leadership development? Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. When, when anyone has a deficiency of knowledge in an area, hooking up with a good, solid mentor is the way to make up that ground fast. Absolutely. And in leadership, it's, it's no different. And if you're lucky enough to find a, a mentor who can coach you through the ins and outs of leadership, uh, you know, hang on to that person. And but in many cases, you know, you you have like mental protege relationships within companies, and they are um, somewhat hit and miss regarding success because if there isn't a natural connection between the mentor and the mentee, yeah. uh, it's not going to work. So that mental relationship is crucial, and there are found a good way to help people make up that ground is to take on a study of great leaders. Develop a list of people that you admire, that you think are extraordinarily successful, display good solid values and, and leadership virtues, and learn what they do on a daily basis. Yeah. So that's a great way, what I call virtual mentoring. You can basically study the lives of these people and, and take on as many of their characteristics as possible. Uh, yeah. Um in actuality, I've found that, you know, once you start reading about these people, you find that they're not what you think. I mean, I I've, um, was fortunate to speak on a bill with Steve Jobs, and, and I was a, a huge Jobs fan, still am a huge Jobs fan. Um, but when you read the books, you know, the guy was an absolute 
total asshole. Um, but he was nevertheless a great leader. You know, he was inspiring. Um, I went to a, a speech that he gave um, where if he had have said, you know, everybody in the room, all 8,000 of you, we're going to go and jump off the Grand Canyon, they all would have gone. Um, and yet, privately, the guy had a million demons. How do you, how do you reconcile those two things? Well, first off, especially if you're going to study someone like Jobs, every leader that I've ever looked at had a flaw of some kind and some type of Achilles heel. Sure. So I like to always take a look at the good that they've done and the positives and cast away the negatives. Yeah. Now, Jobs, I've studied and I mentioned in my book, he had a, a, a fanatical focus on the perspective of the customer. And that's yep. why so many of the Apple products are so extraordinarily um, user-friendly. And because he had that knack of trying to, of understanding what the user wanted and delivering it. And he was non-compromising in those areas. So yep. that was his greatest strength is the, the vision and that uh, acute focus on delivering value to the customer. And yep. he basically would steamroll anyone or anything that stood in the way of implementing that vision. Now, could he have tempered it, as I mentioned, you know, temperance of virtue? Could he have tempered it a little bit and been a little bit of a nicer guy? Yeah, sure he could. <laughs> the great, I think Jobs' great skill was his ability to take something unbelievably complex and, and um, define it in one word. Or two words. I mean, that, that is a skill that almost no one has. When you look back at, um, the advertising, for example, just simple communication, his, the communication from Apple was just extraordinary because, because of its simplicity. Mm -hmm. Um, what can an emerging leader do when a, you know, an obvious mentor is not about, you know, I was lucky. I sort of picked them up like a rolling stone. Um, if, if you don't have those people around you, what do you do? Well, for one, I mentioned the, the virtual mentoring and developing your list in your personal study, but then there's also an informal mentoring arrangement that you could develop. So you, you know, there are people around us, and I've had them in companies where uh, sometimes leaders are, are not very good on a one-to-one -one, uh, basis. Right? Right. They uh, are uneasy one-to-one, -one and they're much more comfortable in front of a crowd. Yeah. So when you have that type of leader trying to establish a personal connection with them, may put them in an awkward situation, and they're not very good at delivering mentorship. But you can actually have an informal relationship where as you're around them, you're observing them, you may occasionally ask a question, get clarification, get their thoughts on something, and always be a keen observer of what they're doing, what's working, what's effective, and what isn't. And that is a phenomenal source of, of mentorship uh, insight. And it doesn't have to be a formal mentor and mentee type of relationship. Yeah. So that's another great way to close a gap. Okay. We're running out of time. If you had to give an emerging leader one last piece of advice, what would that advice be? Well, that, I go right to my power of persistence and to never, ever, ever stop on the 99th yard of a 100-yard dash. You've right. got to run through the finish line of whatever you're doing, and it, it takes a lot of patience, but persistence is that power that gets you through as a leader in any endeavor, any goal you're setting. I agree. Dan, thank you very much for being on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really appreciate it. Now, if you're listening, 
and you've got aspirations to be a leader, make sure that you get a hold of Dan's book, which is Four Power Leadership, Your Pathway to Leadership Success. And you can reach Dan or Four Power Leadership on or at Four Power Leadership. That's the number four, powerleadership.com. So that's the number four, powerleadership.com. This is Bob Pritchard. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. And I'll be back with you after this break. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business show. Coming to you this week from my hometown of sunny, warm Los Angeles. Before we answer some of the emails that we receive every week um, from our listeners all over the world, I'd like to tell you about another exceptional entrepreneur. I love entrepreneur stories, as you probably know. The whole purpose of this show is to assist entrepreneurs. It doesn't matter whether you're opening up a dry cleaning store, have a new design for an engine, or you've created some sort of a new app. doesn't matter. We're here to encourage entrepreneurs of all shapes and sizes, because we believe that entrepreneurs, you know, entrepreneurs are the future of the planet. They'll continue to increase the quality of life and standard of living for everybody. That's what entrepreneurs do. Now, Jennifer Carlson knew when she was about eight that she wanted to be an entrepreneur. She began walking the neighbors' dogs. Then she graduated to selling homemade lemonade and baked cookies and things, but she didn't set up a stand outside her home. She put the lemonade, the cookies on a cart, pulled it to the local soccer field where there's a dozen games going on, and moved from game to game to game. Then at 12 years old, she sold cinnamon buns at campsite under a big sign that said campsite cooking, and at 12, she was bringing home $144 a day. Of course, as she grew up in her late teens, she took a regular job, she married. When she had her first baby, she couldn't find baby food in the market that was interesting and truly nutritious. So she began cooking at home, initially producing purees of vegetables, but adding things like cinnamon and sage and basil and stuff like that. She was taking the meals that she was making for her own dinner and making them baby-friendly. Great idea, I reckon. In conjunction with her sister, she took a space at uh, the Calgary Farmer's Market. Then she wrote a business plan, hired a mum and some of her friends to peel and prepare vegetables, and she was up and running. 
But her recipes were different. There were things like fruity chicken and rice and wild salmon with potato and spinach for kids, for babies. And she recruited more and more friends to assist with preparation. It didn't take long and they had 40 different varieties and were making $30,000 a month profit. So after two years, they shut the stall down. Because while the market had been great research, it was now time to go out to the broad market. But she faced the same problems that every entrepreneur does. No one was interested in investing. But for two years, she persisted, knocking on every door possible and doing it absolutely relentlessly. (laughs) She ended up raising $5 million for baby food. They then went to a brokerage firm to get distribution of the product, but nothing was happening. And so Jennifer decided she'd do it herself. She went to Walmart and she received a very first order. Two months later, they were in 300 Walmart stores, followed quickly by Safeway and a bunch of others, and quickly spread their products across Canada and the United States. Now, three years later, turnover is over $20 million, and she's now released a range of kid gourmet snacks, which will be in Safeway and Target within a couple of months. Jennifer credits her success to the lessons that they learned during the research phase at the Calgary markets. What a great story. So it just shows that if you've got an idea, do your homework, a really persistent and knock on doors until your knuckles bleed, you too will become successful. And my first email today comes from Alan Sinclair from Glebe, a suburb of Sydney in Australia. I have a home on the harbour not very far from there. We have a lot of listeners in Australia and it's about 12.45 tomorrow afternoon, Wednesday afternoon there now. And uh, Alan says, Dear Bob, thank you for an excellent show. It is great to see an Aussie doing so well in the US. I have seen you speak at events in Australia several times. The first time was with John McGrath and you were both really terrific. John McGrath is a great speaker from Australia. You talk and also... Must be just about a billionaire. He is enormously successful. You talk on the show about the need to do research, irrespective of whether you're a big company or a small company. That sounds really good, but research is expensive, and all of the small business people that I know really can't afford it. So how can you do research if you don't have a lot of money? Alan? (laughs) That's a bloody good question, really. But there are ways that you can do research yourself and not spend a huge amount of money. You can take advantage of free websites and free or low-cost tools such as online polls, as well as, you know, just talking to people and observing what they do. Might not be as detailed as the professional market researchers churn out, but it can, you know, it can be good enough to really help you hone your marketing strategy. I've worked with companies where the market research is so bloody complicated that it really distracts you from the really simple messages that are the most effective communication tools. In the same organisations, we have done simple research that in many cases was much more effective. First steps to build a customer database so that you can track purchase history and preferences. 
You know, your point of sale system or your customer service management software, it can provide you with all the tools that you need, really. You need to capture their email address, their home address, their zip code, and you can usually obtain this information by offering discounts or competitions or something like that where you ask people for information in return for entering something. Just this simple information will give you a very good idea of your catchment area and that will really assist you with selecting the right advertising and promotional vehicles. Until you know your exact catchment area, you've got a problem. Now that you know who your customers are and who they are and where they are, the next step is to find out what they want. So you can use services such as Constant Contact or SurveyMonkey or Zoomerang or there's a whole bunch of them to provide free or low-cost surveys for your website or to distribute via email or Facebook or Twitter. You can also hand out customer comment cards at your retail if you've got a retail business. You can Again, you just incentivate people by offering coupons or a discount. You can really ask open-ended questions but simple ones about what your customers want and what they need. Another way to get a guide is to ask, you know, is to ask customers on a sale of, uh, on a scale of zero to ten how likely they are to refer a colleague to you. People who give you a nine or a ten, they're your advocates. They're the ones to work on and they're the ones that are going to promote you to their friends and give you great word of mouth. Those that, get, that give you below six are not going to promote you no matter what. They'll probably complain at some time. So focus on only the ones that can help you spread word of mouth. Now, one of the primary keys in any business is to retain your primary customers and create ways where they can assist you to bring in their friends. Social media is another great way to conduct market research. But again, focus on your advocates. Get them involved by asking them what additional products they'd like you to stock, how, you know, how they can help you with a specific promotion and just ask questions that are going to get them involved and feel an affinity with the business. You know, you can keep them feeling special by offering special discount prices, a membership, perhaps give them special advice or training or any incentive that will entice them to support you. Thanks, Alan. I hope that helps. I'll send you out a copy of Marketing Magic, a book I wrote a few years ago with Brian Tracy, Jay Conrad Levinson and Robert Bly, and I'm sure that they'll really enjoy it. We'll get that off to you tomorrow. Now, if you're a listen, regular listener to the show and you're benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit business radio show for entrepreneurs and remember if you're serious about being successful this is the place to come every week at the same time this is bob pritchard i hope you have a fantastic and a very safe week and i look forward to being with you again at the same time next week enjoy you've been listening to the bob pritchard radio show Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.